Chapter Seven and Eight of John Barleycorn or Alcoholic Memoirs by Jack London. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Seven. I was barely turned fifteen and working long hours in a cannery. Month in and month out, the shortest day I ever worked was ten hours. When to ten hours of actual work at a machine is added the noon hour, the walking to work and walking home from work, the getting up in the morning, dressing and eating, the eating at night, undressing and going to bed, there remains no more than the nine hours out of the twenty-four required by a healthy youngster for sleep. Out of those nine hours, after I was in bed and ere my eyes drowsed shut, I managed to steal a little time for reading. But many a night I did not knock off work until midnight. On occasion, I worked eighteen and twenty hours on a stretch. Once I worked at my machine for thirty-six consecutive hours. And there were weeks on end when I never knocked off work earlier than eleven o'clock, got home and in bed at half after midnight, and was called at half-past five to dress, eat, walk to work, and be at my machine at seven o'clock whistle blow. No moments here to be stolen for my beloved books. And what had John Barleycorn to do with such strenuous, stoic toil of a lad just turned fifteen? He had everything to do with it. Let me show you. I asked myself, if this were the meaning of life, to be a work-beast? I knew of no horse in the city of Oakland that worked the hours I worked. If this were living, I was entirely unenamored of it. I remembered my skiff lying idle and accumulating barnacles at the boat wharf. I remembered the wind that blew every day on the bay, the sunrises and sunsets I never saw, the bite of the salt air in my nostrils, the bite of the salt water on my flesh when I plunged overside. I remembered all the beauty and the wonder and the sense delights of the world denied me. There was only one way to escape my deadening toil. I must get out and away on the water. I must earn my bread on the water. And the way of the water led inevitably to John Barleycorn. I did not know this, and when I did learn it, I was courageous enough not to retreat back to my bestial life at the machine. I wanted to be where the winds of adventure blew, and the winds of adventure 
blew the oyster pirate sloops up and down san francisco bay from raided oyster beds and fights at night on shoal and flat to markets in the morning against city wharves where peddlers and saloon keepers came down to buy every raid on an oyster bed was a felony the penalty was state imprisonment the stripes and the lockstep and what of that the men in stripes worked a shorter day than i at my machine and there was vastly more romance in being an oyster pirate or a convict than in being a machine slave and behind it all behind all of me with youth a bubble whispered romance adventure so i interviewed my mammy jenny my old nurse at whose black breast i had suckled she was more prosperous than my folks she was nursing sick people at a good weekly wage would she lend her white child the money would she what she had was mine then i sought out french frank the oyster pirate who wanted to sell i had heard his sloop the razzle dazzle i found him lying at anchor on the alameda side of the estuary near the webster street bridge with visitors aboard whom he was entertaining with afternoon wine he came on deck to talk business he was willing to sell but it was sunday besides he had guests on the morrow he would make out the bill of sale and i could enter into possession and in the meantime i must come below and meet his friends there were two sisters mamie and tess a mrs hadley who chaperoned them whiskey bob a youthful oyster pirate of sixteen and spider healy a black whiskered wharf rat of twenty mamie who was spider's niece was called the queen of the oyster pirates and on occasion presided at their revels french frank was in love with her though i did not know it at the time and she steadfastly refused to marry him french frank poured a tumbler of red wine from a big demijohn to drink to our transaction i remembered the red wine of the italian rancho and shuddered inwardly whiskey and beer were not quite so repulsive but the queen of the oyster pirates was looking at me a part emptied glass in her own hand i had my pride if i was only fifteen at least i could not show myself any less a man than she besides 
there were her sister and mrs hadley and the young oyster pirate and the whiskered wharf rat all with glasses in their hands was i a milk-and-water sop no a thousand times no and a thousand glasses no i downed the tumberful like a man french frank was elated by the sale which i had bound with a twenty-dollar gold piece he poured more wine i had learned my strong head and stomach and i was certain i could drink with them in a temperate way and not poison myself for a week to come i could stand as much as they and besides they had already been drinking for some time we got to singing spider sang the boston burglar and black lulu the queen sang then i wished i were a little bird and her sister tess sang oh treat my daughter kindly the fun grew fast and furious i found myself able to miss drinks without being noticed or called to account also standing in the companionway head and shoulders out and glass in hand i could fling the wine overboard i reasoned something like this it is a queerness of these people that they like this vile tasting wine well let them i cannot quarrel with their tastes my manhood according to their queer notions must compel me to appear to like this wine very well i shall so appear but i shall drink no more than is unavoidable and the queen began to make love to me the latest recruit to the oyster pirate fleet and no mere hand but a master and owner she went upon deck to take the air and took me with her she knew of course but i never dreamed how french frank was raging down below then tess joined us sitting on the cabin and spider and bob and at the last mrs hadley and french frank and we sat there glasses in hand and sang while the big demijohn went around and i was the only strictly sober one and i enjoyed it as no one of them was able to enjoy it here in this atmosphere of bohemianism i could not but contrast the scene with my scene of the day before sitting at my machine in the stifling shut-in air repeating endlessly repeating at top speed my series of mechanical motions and here i sat now glass in hand in warm glowing camaraderie with the oyster pirates adventurers who refused to be slaves to petty routine who flouted restrictions and the law who carried their lives and their liberty in their hands
and it was through john barleycorn that i came to join this glorious company of free souls unashamed and unafraid and the afternoon sea breeze blew its tang into my lungs and curled the waves in mid-channel before it came the scow schooners wing and wing blowing their horns for the drawbridges to open red stack tugs tow by rocking the razzle-dazzle in the waves of their wake a sugar-bark towed from the boneyard to sea the sun-wash was on the crisping water and life was big and spider sang oh it's lulu black lulu my darlin oh it's where have you been so long been layin in jail a waitin for bail till my bully comes rollin along there it was the smack and slap of the spirit of revolt of adventure of romance of the things forbidden and done defiantly and grandly and i knew that on the morrow i would not go back to my machine at the cannery to-morrow i would be an oyster pirate as free a freebooter as the century and the waters of san francisco bay would permit spider had already agreed to sail with me as my crew of one and also as cook while i did the deck work we would outfit our grub and water in the morning hoist the big mainsail which was a bigger piece of canvas than any i had ever sailed under and beat our way out the estuary on the first of the sea breeze and the last of the ebb then we would slack sheets and on the first of the flood run down the bay to the asparagus islands where we would anchor miles offshore and at last my dream would be realized i would sleep upon the water and next morning i would wake upon the water and thereafter all my days and nights would be on the water and the queen asked me to row her ashore in my skiff when at sunset french frank prepared to take his guests ashore nor did i catch the significance of his abrupt change of plan when he turned the task of rowing his skiff over to whisky bob himself remaining on board the sloop nor did i understand spider's grinning side remark to me gee there's nothing slow about you how could it possibly enter my boy's head that a grizzled man of fifty should be jealous of me chapter eight we met by appointment early monday morning to complete the deal in johnny heinhold's last chance a saloon of course for the transactions of men i paid the money over received the bill of sale and french frank treated 
This struck me as an evident custom and a logical one. The seller who receives the money to wet a piece of it in the establishment where the trade was consummated. But, to my surprise, French Frank treated the house. He and I drank, which seemed just. But why should Johnny Heinhold, who owned the saloon and waited behind the bar, be invited to drink? I figured it immediately that he made a profit on the very drink he drank. I could, in a way, considering that they were friends and shipmates, understand Spider and Whiskey Bob being asked to drink, but why should the longshoremen, Bill Kelly and Soup Kennedy, be asked? Then there was Pat, the Queen's brother, making a total of eight of us. It was early morning, and all ordered whiskey. What could I do here in this company of big men all drinking whiskey? Whiskey, I said, with the careless air of one who had said it a thousand times. And such whiskey, I tossed it down. Arg, I can taste it yet and I was appalled at the price French Frank had paid. Eighty cents! Eighty cents! It was an outrage to my thrifty soul. Eighty cents! The equivalent of eight long hours of my toil at the machine, gone down our throats, and gone like that, in a twinkling, leaving only a bad taste in the mouth. There was no discussion that French Frank was a waster. I was anxious to be gone, out into the sunshine, out over the water to my glorious boat. But all hands lingered. Even Spider, my crew, lingered. No hint broke through my obtuseness of why they lingered. I have often thought since of how they must have regarded me, the newcomer being welcomed into their company, standing at bar with them, and not standing for a single round of drinks. French Frank, who, unknown to me, had swallowed his chagrin since the day before, now that the money for the razzle-dazzle was in his pocket, began to behave curiously toward me. I sensed the change in his attitude, saw the forbidding glitter in his eyes, and wondered. The more I saw of men, the queerer they became. Johnny Heinhold leaned across the bar and whispered in my ear, He's got it in for you. Watch out. I nodded comprehension of his statement and acquiescent in it as a man should nod who knows all about men. But secretly I was perplexed. Heavens, how was I who had worked hard and read books of adventure, and who was only fifteen years old, 
who had not dreamed of giving the queen of the oyster pirates a second thought and who did not know that french frank was madly and latinly in love with her how was i to guess that i had done him shame and how was i to guess that the story of how the queen had thrown him down on his own boat the moment i hove in sight was already the gleeful gossip of the waterfront and by the same token how was i to guess that her brother pat's offishness with me was anything else than temperamental gloominess of spirit whiskey bob got me aside a moment keep your eyes open he muttered take my tip french frank's ugly i'm going up river with him to get a schooner for oystering when he gets down on the beds watch out he says he'll run you down after dark any time he's around change your anchorage and douse your riding like savvy oh certainly i savvied i nodded my head and as one man to another thanked him for his tip and drifted back to the group at the bar no i did not treat i never dreamed that i was expected to treat i left with spider and my ears burn now as i try to surmise the things they must have said about me i asked spider in an off-hand way what was eating french frank he's crazy jealous of you was the answer do you think so i said and dismissed the matter as not worth thinking about but i leave it to anyone the swell of my fifteen years old manhood at learning that french frank the adventurer of fifty the sailor of all the seas of all the world was jealous of me and jealous over a girl most romantically named the queen of the oyster pirates i had read of such things in books and regarded them as personal probabilities of a distant maturity oh i felt a rare young devil as we hoisted the mainsail that morning broke out anchor and filled away close hauled on the three-mile beat to windward out into the bay such was my escape from the killing machine toil and my introduction to the oyster pirates true the introduction had begun with drink and the life promised to continue with drink but was i to stay away from it for such a reason wherever life ran free and great there men drank romance and adventure seemed always to go down the street locked arm in arm with john barleycorn to know the two i must know the third 
or else I must go back to my free library books and read of the deeds of other men and do no deeds of my own save slave for ten cents an hour at a machine in a cannery. No, I was not to be deterred from this brave life on the water by the fact that the water-dwellers had queer and expensive desires for beer and wine and whiskey. What if their notions of happiness included the strange one of seeing me drink? When they persisted in buying the stuff and thrusting it upon me, why, I would drink it. It was the price I would pay for their comradeship. And I didn't have to get drunk. I had not got drunk the Sunday afternoon I arranged to buy the razzle-dazzle, despite the fact that not one of the rest was sober. Well, I could go on into the future that way, drinking the stuff when it gave them pleasure that I should drink it, but carefully avoiding over-drinking. End of chapter 8